Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. So I want to begin by expressing my gratitude and my honor to be able to speak with you during this retreat at such a momentous time in the history of our planet. And although we have titled the retreat, if I can read the small print, uh, Spiritual Preparation for Social Collapse, with the subtitle that's been slightly modified, Harnessing and Being Harnessed by the Power of Consciousness to Manifest a New World. It's important that we recognize that to whatever extent we identify as an ego separate from God, we must be harnessed. In fact, one of the words for yoga, the yoke, like the oxen, is yoked to the cart. We are being yoked and harnessed to God's will so that we can serve God in this time of liberation that we are passing through and that is passing through us and transforming us all of us but i would rather not characterize the situation that we are in as one of social collapse because it only seems that way to the superficial eye. It is a time of liberation from an oppressive system. In fact, from an oppressive nested set of systems, not simply governmental systems and uh, uh, social systems that have become obsolete or oppressive or that do not allow us to express our whole being, but the family systems and the corporate systems and the internalized systems of the ego consciousness. So we are being freed at this time from all of them because they cannot sustain themselves any longer, having fallen as far as they have into fragmentation. The center cannot hold, not the center that has been holding in Kali Yuga, and a new center must arise 
that has the power to hold all together in oneness. And it's that center that we represent, that center of centers, that axis mundi, that power that alone can manage and sustain a world, which we can consider and use such a word to describe that being as God. But I know that not everyone here has a good experience with the term God. And so I want everyone to know that there are many equivalents to that word that we will also sometimes be using, whether it's Brahman or the Buddha nature or the Tao or it's uh, any of the 99 names of Allah or it's any of the epithets of God, or the incarnations, or mythological representations of God, whether Christ, or Krishna, or Rama, or any of the goddesses, or any of the figures of uh, the various creeds of the world that tend to represent God, either as a, a father or a mother or a neutral field of consciousness or that which is beyond all possible description and conception. And all of them are useful and partially accurate, but we need to understand and accept all of those infinite inflections of the Supreme Consciousness if we are to really understand how to proceed on this journey and to make use of the blessings that this time is bringing us, many of which are hidden and disguised as catastrophes. And so we must see with the third eye. And we must learn to listen with the third ear to the words and the inspirations that will come from that infinite source of our being which is also our own center, if we pay full attention. And so the first point that I would like to make in this retreat, perhaps of, uh, let's say, paradigmatic scope, is my hope that everyone will let go of their paranoid theories of why this is happening. 
unless we drop paranoia, which literally means to be out of your mind, out of your right mind, unless you drop the conspiracy theories that everyone seems to be so attached to and convinced by, unless we do that, we will not be able to see and understand the truth that the one who runs this world is God. It's not run by billionaires or political elites or deep states or any of the other theoretical rulers, whether they're Freemasons or Kabbalists or Illuminati or whatever else uh, people are choosing to believe in, and it's not aliens, and it's not any of the other options that people have. And so it will be of most help to you to choose to understand the world from God's perspective, since God is the one making the decisions and determining our destiny. And the more that we are serving that one and not serving any of those others or our ego's addiction to paranoid thinking, then the more benefit we will get from this time period, which will be very short. We are in a very accelerated moment, as I think everyone realizes. And because the speed of time is accelerating, the speed of our own capacity to grok must accelerate. Our capacity to understand more deeply than our ego can do. If we are to ride the wave and not be submerged by it. So, I begin with the same paradigm as is valid for, from what I know, all of the major spiritual traditions, which is that God is one and that God is all. Whatever seems to be appearing as a world separate from that infinite consciousness is an illusion only to the particles of God consciousness that identify with the bodies they are animating and have become lost in their own finite fantasies and narratives about reality based on a false identification with the animal body. The spiritual journey begins when we recognize that it is a waste of our precious time to live a life based on satisfying the appetites of the animal body and to try to give it a sense of security from its imagined fears and anxieties and its desires and its uh, 
its foolish attempts to gain power, fame, prestige, whatever else, not realizing that we are within a higher order that determines all of that based on our goodness and our lovingness, our loving kindness, and our willingness to surrender and be harnessed by that intelligence that alone can guide us accurately through life. So the present moment demonstrates that the ego, if it tries to run the world by itself, separate from a connection to that supreme being, if the particle wants to lead a particular life and does not want to surrender to the supreme whole, the infinite intelligence, it's going to make a mess of things. And collectively, the egos have made a mess of the world to the point that our existence is in the most precarious position it has ever been. And humanity as a species is now threatened with being extinguished from the universe. It's not simply a pandemic that has brought that about. That's just the cover story. The world was already in collapse and already the drums of wars were sounding and being already fought on many fronts. And the fragmentation of order and the degradation and all of the corruption that everyone knows about that I hope I will not have to mention again in this retreat, but that's the situation in which we are meeting. All of that has come about because egos have detached from not just the belief in God, because belief is not relevant, but the connection to the source of that intelligence. So what I would like to indicate to everyone, if you don't already have complete awareness of this, is that each soul is a holon. It is a particle that holographically contains the whole. But because it's a particle only, it contains the whole in an incoherent fashion. It's only the absolute whole that can clarify the deep nuances that make all the difference, that enable a reuniting of all of the particles into unity again. And that unity can only come through love of the source of the particle's own existence because the particles cannot love one another. They are competing with one another. They are all too often envious of one another, jealous, angry, projecting negativity on the other. 
And so at the level of the ego, there cannot be unity or love or wisdom. And therefore, if we do not jettison the ego mind, which is based on identification with the animal body, we cannot escape the psychology of the ego, which is self-defeating and self-destructive and world-destructive. And so only a return to the infinite, blissful, loving, luminous, almighty intelligence that is the self, the one self, can save us from suffering a fate worse than extinction because of the guilt and shame that will accompany the extinction for our having failed to deliver all the beings who are in our care to safety and to a world at peace. And so it is our obligation and sacred duty to free ourselves from the chains and the prison of the ego in order to receive again the power to be able to manifest a new world. So along with recognizing that God, by which we mean the highest level of consciousness possible, is in control, and we understand that all of this that seems to be a cosmos is consciousness. Everything that is, appears to you, everything that you perceive, is an appearance in your consciousness. Therefore, your consciousness contains the universe. It contains everyone, everything, as a single whole. But who is the perceiver of that universe? So, <clears throat> at the core of our being, each and every one of us is a particle of God, and therefore each and every one of us is a perfect being. And it's as a perfect being that all of us come into this world. But as we come into this world, we take on the veils and the coverings that we are given once we are in the womb of the mother and then born and projected upon and covered in a shell of an ego, then we become imperfect. Or at least we think we become imperfect. Because the ego 
which is based upon the mind's identification, first, as Lacan said, with its mirror image, and then with the, or even before, with the image we get from the parental gaze, and all of the information we get from how we are treated in infancy and childhood that creates a self-image that is mostly imposed from outside and is our interpretation, an interpretation that comes from an innocence and a lack of information about the nature of the situation we have entered and we take on the identity of a lacking human who is now forced to seek happiness and fulfillment because there is a belief that it doesn't exist within. And thus people are always trying to fall in love with someone who will see that perfection momentarily and honor the self that one can no longer see or realize oneself. And so the spiritual journey begins when we reach a point of understanding in which we can deconstruct the ego's self-image and attempt to break through its veils and its coverings and, and the defenses that we have built around the heart so as not to be hurt again by the other. And we attempt to discover the heart once again and open it. But it is not easy to do so because the effort to do that itself brings the, to consciousness the repressed pain that we all carry from feeling lacking and imperfect and unworthy of God, unworthy of Buddhahood. But when we do break through, then the perfect being within recognizes that the world itself is only a divine manifestation. It doesn't really exist separate from consciousness. It's in, we are in the mind of God at all times, because there's nowhere else to be. And therefore, the world has always been perfect, but we couldn't recognize that because we were seeing it through lenses of the belief in imperfection and badness and evil. And because the ego, it, its filters are self-fulfilling prophecies, it creates the, the evil that it sees, and it magnifies it. And then there's a, uh, a, a complete feedback loop of negativity between the individual ego and the world. 
But once we have broken through the illusion of the ego, then the world itself appears again as a manifestation of God, and every being is a letter in God's, uh, God's ultimate name. Everyone is a manifestation of an inflection of some archetypal attribute that is a name of God that is expressing itself through your life. And maybe more than one archetype and maybe successively shifting into deeper and more clarified versions of the archetype. So the spiritual journey is to become again the highest possible version of your being and recognize that highest possible self as containing and one with the world and with that which is the source of the world. We erase what's on there. During this retreat, I want to give a, a lot of time to answer questions, both to people here and, and on live stream. But for this class, I think for the most part, I want to lay out the paradigm so that we can uh, all be on the same page and on the same vibrational frequency. So I hope everyone is open to accepting the truth that you are a particle of God as an ego, and beyond the ego, you are in fact all. You are in fact a manifestation of the Supreme Being. with all the bliss and the understanding and the radiance that comes with that. So for most of us, life takes place on three tracks. But for some, those tracks will seem like chronological phases, uh, but they are not. They are simultaneous because they occur in different time zones, we could say. So, for many of us, the world appears as a journey of uncovering, of learning. Growth means we learn more about the nature of the world. We learn more about the nature of the individual self. We learn about 
the conduct of life and how to relate to others. And we uncover all of the internal resistances and obstacles and censoring that has been uh, embedded in the ego structure. I use the word uncovering separate from unveiling because I think of uncovering as the un uncovering of the subconscious levels of the ego mind, the levels that the Freudians are interested in. Because unless we have been able to free ourselves from certain compartments of forbidden knowledge and unbearable knowledge, we will not be able to see the world as it is or be at peace in our own body. So there has to be that uncovering and release from the pain that has been suppressed and the anger that we may not even know we have because most of our suffering, we are not clear either that we have it or why we have it. And thus we can't let it go. But the second level of the journey is of unveiling the superconscious. That barrier to seeing through this world of illusion, which is an expression of divine intelligence into the source of the author of this uh, cinema that we are playing our roles in. And so the journey of unveiling brings us the, the healing drug, the healing medicine of divine love. And without the medicine of divine love, I don't think anyone could ever accept themselves. They could never be released from the guilt and the shame of the imperfect karma that was done under the influence of the belief that one was imperfect. And therefore, there is a second track that has to accompany the journey based on our own willpower. And that is the fact that in life, we are constantly receiving grace, even when we don't recognize it as such, even when we think it's an insult or a rejection or a denial of something we want, it's always a blessing. We are always receiving grace. And so one of the sensitivities that we must all develop in life is to be able to recognize grace when we are receiving it and be able to use that grace, which is God's love and forgiveness and mercy and amnesty to let go of the past and stop being chained to a belief that we have 
done too many wrong things to deserve uh, freedom and liberation and bliss and salvation from the human condition. And that's the difference between the superego and God, because the superego will ne never let you off the hook. So it is a false God. And a false villain as well. So the receiving of grace is more on the feminine side. It's more about the heart's peace and the uncovering is the working of the mind, trying to cognitively understand what's going on, why one has a certain attitude or a certain resistance or a certain addiction or a certain need to create conflict. In India, they speak of the two ways of spiritual development as the monkey's way and the kitten's way. The monkey has to hold on tight to the mother while she leaps through the branches of the tree, and it works very hard holding on. But the kitten just lets go and is carried by the mother and uh, doesn't have to do anything. It's just receiving total grace all the time. So my suggestion is that we do both. But to do both requires that you love God as your father and as your mother. So even though we say God is one, it is important to recognize that God comes to us as two. And I think this is why the word for God in Hebrew is Elohim. It's a plural word, even though it's clear Adonai Echad, God is one but it's Elohim. So why? Because God has that maternal love and forgiveness and mercy and also gives the intelligence to make sure we don't make the same mistake again. And we have to develop both. But the higher power is that of God the Mother. It's very interesting, you know, if you look at a Shiva lingam in an Indian uh, temple, the lingam is inside the yoni. The yoni is all-encompassing, the bhaga, the bhagavan we talk about. And so the ultimate reality is the womb in which even God arises. Even the creator of the universe must arise in the absolute womb of the mother. And then once arising, there is union and then creation. But there has to be that willingness to surrender to such a love that is so total that we disappear into it and no longer exist. And then our being comes back with power. The lingam, the almighty force. But it is clear that the maternal is first. And I think this is the major mistake that was made in the Abrahamic religions, the idea that God creates Adam first. That's ridiculous. He must have created Eve first. 
And, and then, of course, Adam can be born as her son. That's the way it works psychologically anyway. We all know that. I mean, that's the way he did it with the Virgin Mary, you know, and, uh, and got Jesus here through the mother. I'm sure it happened with Adam the same way, and they're not telling us the right story. So there's some censorship involved there for the sake of a patriarchy, which I think has been perhaps the first domino that uh, has caused all the others in history to fall. But in any case, we're speaking mythologically, but we are speaking about what is primary in our own nature. And I agree with the Sufis, the, the Islamic tradition that says of all the 99 names of Allah, the highest name and the name that settles on the throne, the ruling name is mercy and compassion, ar-Rahman, Raham. This Rahma, this mercy is the key to victory over the ego, over Maya. And, and mercy means unconditional love. And when we understand that our unconditional love is always only love for the self anyway, it's not some altruistic sacrifice. It's, it's in the self-interest of the one self that we are. And therefore, the more that we are in that state of mercifulness and receiving the mercy that we need to be able to forgive ourselves and function at the highest level, the quicker we will attain liberation from all of the illusions that are based on our separation from the merciful self. So the third track Third track, as I said, is the fact that we are always actually perfect, eternally perfect, beyond time and space, before birth and beyond death, even though our ego mind may not realize it. So the mind, the ego mind, is what uh, the great uh, Sufi Sheikh Ibn Arabi calls the barzakh. say that the mind or our intelligence is both the barzakh and the bab. Barzakh means a barrier. It is something that comes between two things and keeps them separate. So the ego mind's chatter keeps you separate from your realization of God consciousness 
which is why meditation requires silence. The silence is the bob. The word bob means the gateway. So the mind is also the gateway. It's the barrier to God consciousness. But if you understand and use the mind in the service of breaking through the ego's delusions, then it becomes the gate that brings you to the paradise of your eternal perfection. So these are the three tracks that are always going, but there is also a fourth, the Turiya. We'll just call it the beyond. One of the, uh, the metaphors that is often used, and especially, uh, again, by Ibn Arabi in his uh, uh, Meccan uh, revelations, his great magnum opus, is to recognize the world as a shadow play. I, we once showed the Balinese shadow plays that are put on where there's a screen, there are puppets behind the screen, and then there's a light behind the puppet. So you see the shadow on this, uh, this sheet, and uh, the play goes on with the shadows. We can think of this world as the screen. The puppet is the uh, archetype that you are actually incarnated to live out, and the shadow that distorts the puppet makes it either bigger or smaller or at an angle or however else it's inflected, that would be uh, your bodily being in the world. So your body is your shadow. And it's important not to mistake the shadow for the light, for the self. And your mind is simply the, uh, the shadow's inflection in your consciousness that keeps you acting in accord with this distorted puppet. What you want to do is go beyond the, the plane of the shadow, which is the, the phenomenal plane, the world of appearance, and go back into that which is unseen, the source of the light of your consciousness, and then you will discover who you are and what the whole play is about. And you will stop being a puppet and become the puppeteer. So this is the, the journey. But once you have gone beyond, you will realize that this world doesn't exist at all. It's completely unreal, and there'll be no more interest in it. This is the final ajatavada that Sri Ramana speaks of. But the first three enable one to live life intelligently and successfully overcome the illusions, the obstacles, the unhappiness, the symptoms of suffering in the body and in the karma, and to live a life that is noble, pure, 
divine and has the power to transform the morphogenetic field in which the body exists and to raise the vibrational frequency so that the world can again transform from a hell realm into a heaven. This is what our duty is as servers of God. But the ultimate absolute being is beyond. And that beyondness is important to keep in mind because that keeps us humble. So long as you are relating to a world, whether it's as a learner or a receiver of grace or one who already is uh, in the perfection of that grace, all of those are still illusory. But the higher one gets toward that perfection, the more one is in resonance with the absolute intelligence that is beyond and the more joy there is. So in, in the, uh, the Mijong Tantra of the uh, Dzogchen tradition, uh, it is said that when you break through to the highest level uh, that is just short of the absolute, they call it uh, the realm of laughter because they say then you get the joke. Until then, you take it seriously and you don't fully get it. I think it's nirahasa is the word that's used. So it is that, that realm of the supreme blissful laughter of God that we want to be able to hear and to participate in and not think we're the butt of the joke. Because we're not. We are meant to be heroes, all of us, on this journey to the light and to bring the light to all who are still in darkness. Another uh, set of names I could give for this For the first one, I would call it the world of the imperative. Life begins as an imperative. God says, be. It's imperative. You have no choice. And you come into this life as a naked being who has to learn everything all over again. But it is imperative that you learn that you grow, that you discover, that you unveil, that you open yourself to receiving grace and achieve the perfection. So it will seem like a, a process of development, even though all the tracks are here simultaneously and you are eternally perfect at this very moment, here and now, and don't have to make it a long process of learning the hard way. But the imperative is to be 
And to be means to be who you really are, not the bodily false puppet. The second is what I would call the world of creative process. Because as every great artist knows, you receive an inspiration from on high. If it's great art, you are receiving it. Every great novelist or, or composer has said they receive dictation. And, it, and the genius came to them. And so our creative process is the second aspect of our life. It's not just the journey of tests and rites of passage, but the creative connection to the beauty and the love and the brilliance of God consciousness in works of art, science, philosophy, all the cultural achievements. And so we want to have a very active creative process, but a creative process that isn't the ego's attempt to shine or impress, but is a transmission from the beyond into this world of beauty and truth. And then, of course, If one has a close enough connection to that one beyond, one enters the world of the creator and the mind of God. And that, of course, is a quantum leap. But I think we won't go further with that in this morning's introduction to the retreat. I wanted to keep it very simple and light. I hope it is. And I know that everyone here has been on this journey for a long, long time, many lifetimes. And so there's nothing that you will hear in this ashram from me that you have not already known deeply in your heart. So I recognize that all of you are already the perfect being the divine manifestation. The question is, do you realize it? Do you give yourself that much credit and that much bliss? If you don't, you have to ask why. Is it because you don't want the responsibility that comes with knowing who you are? Or the letting go of the enjoyments of lower chakra, acting out, and satisfying the animal appetites, even when that is against the achievement of enlightenment and liberation. You have to work out what it is that holds you back from the complete saturation with the bliss of the real nature of who you are, of who we all are, 
and of what this world is. I'll stop there. I hope this has been a useful uh, overview of where at least I would like to uh, guide people in this retreat to unveiling fully, completely, your divine nature and to drop the ego delusion once and for all. So there's still some time, and I would like to open the floor if there are any questions locally or on live stream. Anyone here? Okay, Purusha. Thank you very much, Shunya. I just want to say welcome to everyone who's joining us online. We have people as close as the Diamante Valley down the road and as far away as Singapore and Malaysia. We're welcoming back people who were with us at the last retreat, past visitors, past Sangha members, and everyone who is new to Sat Yoga. We're happy to have all of you with us and joining us for this retreat. The first question comes from Samuel, Samuel George. He says, whilst I see the beautiful transforma uh, transformation taking place, it is often difficult to know where to place oneself in a world of fear and conflict. How do we navigate in such a polarized world now more than ever in order to not be influenced physically, emotionally, and mentally? Well, from all I've said already, I think you can gather that the only place to put your attention is into the mind of God. And from there, you will receive marching orders and uh, advice and inspiration that will enable you to navigate safely uh, through this world of illusion without being contaminated by the fear and the degradation that may be all around you, and which you may actually be able to transform and uplift and influence in a very positive, beautiful way through charity and through blessings and through role modeling and uh, through the, uh, the, the action of recognition of the other as already uh, a divine manifestation. If you're willing and able to do that, uh, the world will not be a problem for you, and it will, in fact, be a Buddha field. It will be a continuing opportunity to grow and to, uh, to blossom as a being of love and light and an avatar of God's being in the world. So it's very important to recognize that wherever you are is the accurate place for you to be. And if you are moved to, to shift geographically, that may also be accurate. There's no way to second guess yourself. But if you're coming from the heart, your actions will be spontaneous and they'll be in alignment with the Tao. And so you don't need to uh, agonize over decisions. It's very important to know that the center of your being and the core intelligence is within you, not without. Don't depend, certainly on media, 
but don't depend on books, don't depend on teachings, don't depend on shunyamurti. You don't need shunyamurti, you don't need this ashram. You have everything within yourself. Claim it, accept it, listen, become who you really are, uh, not by trying to imitate or even uh, to need to learn from someone else except to the point where there are blind spots that you cannot undo for yourself. And then uh, if you have the right humility, the teacher will appear, the opportunities will appear that will help you accelerate your process of uh, uncovering and unveiling. But trust that you have all that you need within. And be without worries and know that what, whatever is required, if you are in that state of being open and receptive to grace, it will come and you will be guided. So have no fear. Okay. Is there any other questions? Hmm. Hi. So you said go beyond the shadow and to the source of the light of your consciousness and stop being the puppet, be the puppeteer, which I totally am aligned with. And then you say, why don't you recognize you're perfect? You don't want the responsibility. You're acting out for lower chakras that holds you back. So of course, we want to go to the source of that light and stop being the puppet. And also, I appreciate what you said about not going to the external, to anybody, but go within. Mm -hmm. And the tools to get to that, right, where you know it, you feel it, your intuition is there, and you're in that state of bliss or consciousness, but then, of course, the ego pulls you back into the, whether it's the, the tape or the shadow realm. So why don't you recognize you're perfect take the responsibility if you want to and you're there, like what are some tools you can do to keep that ego at bay or continue to be your puppeteer and not to fall back into the world as the human world and stay in the spiritual realm and mm -hmm. receiving grace? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a very good question and I'm sure it's universal. Thank so thank you for asking it. As I said before, I think the only effective medicine is divine love. Now, all love is divine love. Whenever you're experiencing love, whether it's for a cat or a dog, or it's for a sunset, or it's for a person, or whatever, the love itself is coming from God. All love comes from God. But if we project that the feeling of love that we have is caused by the person or the animal or the situation, then we will fall into delusion and will follow a, a false track. But what everyone really wants is to have the most amount of love possible in their life, right? That's really what everyone wants. Even if they say, no, I want money, it's in order to get love and attention and respect and right, all of those, uh, those good feelings. So everyone wants love, but the problem is you're not gonna get love from the animal beyond a certain point, and then it'll scratch you and it'll leave you and take a dump in front of you and everything else. Uh, so 
uh, and so will the human that you uh, may be in love with sooner or later. So uh, you are, you, if you realize that what you're in love with is love, not the object of desire that has gone with it, then your love will be able to blossom into the total love that is the love that is liberation itself, that is God consciousness. So once you realize that any fall into the ego is cheating yourself of love and therefore of bliss and of wisdom, you wouldn't fall, in, fall for the trap of, of taking a few crumbs of goodness when you can have the whole pie, okay? So that's the, the real issue. Be smart enough to go for the infinite love and bliss, not the finite crumbs that will soon be uh, stale and uh, uh, disgusting. So it is, it is that wisdom that has been passed on by all the teachers of the great traditions. And this is why the, the spiritual practices of every religion has involved the restraint of your appetite. Why does every religion uh, encourage people to fast, for example? Uh, it, it's in order, it's not simply because, as most people who fast today believe, it will give you ketosis and autophagy and uh, weight loss and all the other you know, benefits uh, that they might uh, get for, on a bodily level to be more attractive or whatever. It's not about that. It's about recognizing and allowing God to recognize, that, meaning your highest self, to recognize that you want that nourishment. You want the shakti. You want the bliss. You want the intelligence of God, not the food, not, the, not to satisfy the animal body. You want to satisfy the spirit and be fulfilled by the spirit. So... The fasting, the brahmacharya, all the restraints on desire that yogis uh, accept, is, is the dharma, is put in place because it protects you from squandering your life energies in karmic relationships that will produce suffering. And once you understand that, then you won't think of the yogic uh, yamas and niyamas as restraints, but as opportunities to uh, flower in the world as divine avatars without the restrictions of attachments that cause one to be partial and limited and, uh, and unclear, incoherent to yourself. And the more you've experienced real coherence, the more you want more of that. And you'll pay whatever price is necessary to have that. And the more you want love and joy rather than anguish and worry about things, then the more you'll surrender to God consciousness. So I, I think at a certain point of your development, you realize, well, I'm not wasting my time with that anymore. That's a, it's, it's just a waste of, of precious life that we don't know how much more we're gonna get, right? We never know when the life will end and that's it. So we want here and now to have the bliss of realization, not later. I hope that helps. Anyone else here? Can we give it to Kalyan? Thank you, Shunya. 
Um, it's uh, very nourishing to be in your live stream presence again. <laughs> uh, it's very much felt, and I really appreciated this opening class a lot. Um, the, one of the first things you mentioned uh, was something that, that touched me, and um, you said it, it can only um, be the purity and goodness of your souls that bring you to a gathering such as this. And it's very encouraging and um, relieving to, to hear that because I feel so much impurity, especially it seems more and more and more it keeps coming. Guilt and mm -hmm. these feelings just keep mm -hmm. coming up. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I try not to beat myself up over them, but I do. And otherwise I wouldn't feel guilty. I, I do mm -hmm. a, a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. for having these thoughts and um, and interestingly I, I was looking at the the whiteboard in the parentheses and and I, I guess I had a, a bit of a slip because I read I misread what it said and it kind of speaks to what I was feeling uh, in this impurity in it and what I read was uh, harnessing and being harassed <laughs> by <laughs> consciousness <laughs> And Indeed. so when you when you read it, I kind of laughed and Freud okay. is laughing. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I often kind of feel harassed by consciousness. I don't know if that's an accurate way to or say. Or by it. Dharma. That yeah. Both yeah. But it just feels like I'm. It, it's an interesting way to see. It. I feel like I'm being harassed by my own self. And yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. So I just wanted to to express that yeah. and. Uh, no, this. it's a beautiful insight, and I appreciate it, Kalyan, and I'm sure you speak for many, not just for yourself. In fact, it's, it's a universal characteristic of the ego. Uh, it, every ego is harassed by a superego voice that says, how dare you do that, and you stupid you know, idiot for, right? I, I have been an idiot. In fact, I've been a moron, an idiot. Uh, <laughs> All of uh, what was Zizek had seven levels of stupidity, right? I think it was. We once gave a class on that. I've been through all seven, so I understand where you are with with uh, equality and humility. But you you reach a point where you don't want to hear that voice anymore, and you don't want to do the things that cause you to feel stupid and uh, and dirty, right? So. Uh, when you decide that you want to stop harassing yourself because it's become intolerable, you can consider that the harassment is the ultimate blessing you've received of grace because it enables you now to make the decision to transcend the ego. So this is all part of, of the growth process and the uncovering. You're uncovering all the dirt, which is good, that's important. And now you have to unveil the light and the beauty and the goodness of who you really are because you're not seeing that yet, because your ego doesn't want you to see it. It's censoring that. You have to see that. Break through the censor's veil of your true divine nature. And the, the more you're willing to act from that divine nature with generosity, with love, with goodness, with forgiveness, with lack of judgment and projection, then the more that that grace will come in until your mind is emptied out of all the negative thoughts and self-images and uh, fantasies, and, uh, and then there will be peace. And then the peace will be filled with wisdom, bliss, creativity, every, every blessing of God.
So you're on the path and, and it's a, a normal and natural phase of the journey. And now you're reaching, I would say, the momentous point where you go from the uncovering to the unveiling. And by turning to God, that's what conversion means, right? That's that idea of you now uh, live for God, not for the human bodily appetites. And then you will receive your divine crown back and you will be able to uh, be given the throne and, and to be able to function as a spiritually royal manifestation of noble God consciousness. That's what we're here for. And that's why this whole pandemic started with a corona, with a coronation of our being that uh, came in the form of the ending of life as the ego knew it and the beginning of a new life. So that has happened externally, and now it's happening internally, and it will happen universally. It's, this is God's process. It's not humans doing anything, but the process of the unveiling, even if you think you have to do it, no, it's a gift of grace. Just as the, 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 uh, the dirtiness uncovering is a gift of grace, all of it is grace. And the more that you accept it all and forgive yourself, knowing that you, you were here to learn all of this in order to have compassion for others who still have to learn it, will enable you then to fulfill the mission that God has given you. And it's a very special, unique mission. And the more that you listen, the more you will receive the understanding of the specialness of the being that you represent in your bodily shadow of that uh, divine nature, the archetype, the divine name, the divine capacity and, and talents and skills that you are given in order to serve God in this world will, will flower to their ultimate extent. So have trust and faith, and the more that you do that, and the more you allow your mind to be free of the ego thoughts and to be filled with First, the silence, but the love of God, the, the faster the purification will be completed and you'll be back on the throne of the lotus and, uh, and, and being a teacher and a guide for all those who still have to find their way up the mountain of God. So, thank you. Jose Maria. Thank you, Shunya. Uh, it's great to be here with the Sangha. Feels like home. Uh, if I understood correctly, uh, you mentioned in your teaching that the mind in the spiritual path can become an obstacle, and then uh, it, it also, it, through the right process, can become a uh, very useful tool for the self-realization. And um, I don't know what, what needs to happen when the mind starts uh, grasping concepts or beliefs. What needs to happen to shift that into realization and knowing? What is the process that occurs in the mind, within the mind? There are two different kinds of thoughts. There are thoughts that come from the ego, 
that will waste your time and degrade you and put you into states of anxiety and lust and attachment and, and all of those other vices of the ego, the arrogance, the narcissism, etc. And then there are higher thoughts, the archetypal thoughts, the thoughts that come from God when you're in an, an inspired state, or the thoughts written down by the great sages. So I would recommend that you use your mind to study the teachings of the great sages of all the traditions, whether it's Sri Ramana or Ananda Maima or the great Christian mystics or the Kabbalists or uh, uh, the great Sufi sheikhs uh, and the Sufi poets, uh, all of the great literature of a higher spiritual nature can uplift your mind to going beyond mere symbolic thought to receive the real, uh, true, uh, blissful vibrational frequencies that can never be articulated in words or even in music, they're beyond. But you can then translate them into words and music and art of all kinds and, uh, and action uh, that is wise and intelligent, but you have to first receive that the higher mind. So don't settle for the ego mind. Bring your attention to that level of thought that will come from silently listening to what your real self wants to tell you. And then once you do, your ego will be drowned out and there will be a flow of wisdom that will come from the higher place that will then guide you from then on. So we'll have one more question, and then we'll end uh, this uh, session, okay? I'll just say that there, were, there was quite a response in the comments to the last few questions. Uh -huh. And uh, anyway, there's a question from Misty, who asks, um, I've learned the ascetic life doesn't work for me, neither does overindulging. I truly strive for a balance in the sensory spiritual experience. All the pleasures and pains seem to bring a great wisdom through direct experience. What is your perspective on this middle path, allowing for experimentation in order to learn versus completely cutting out certain elements of life? Thank you. Misty, thank you for your question. Every path is perfect. I, I make no distinctions between paths. Uh, I don't consider the path of, of, uh, of yogic dharma as asceticism. Uh, to, to think of that as being, let's say, uh, the sacrifice of enjoyments, because I have learned the hard way that those enjoyments bring an equal and opposite reaction of suffering. Uh, that's why Lacan called it jouissance. It, it's a, uh, a desire that, uh, that brings a, a very unpleasant after effect. So, uh, for me, it's not, uh, it's not a, an ascetic uh, rejection of uh, enjoyments or of experience. It's of a higher kind of experience. But everyone has to go through the kinds of experiences that you do go through. And I agree that for, for you, it, the, the path that you are on is the path that will maximize your learning. So don't try to be ascetic. Don't try to overindulge. I agree. I think that the middle way is very good. Eventually, the middle will change for you. The middle will, will become what you now think of as an ascetic or higher path, 
will actually be uh, the middle for you. And every path that you're on is actually a middle between two extremes because the ultimate path is beyond all paths. So as long as you're still on a path, you're in the middle. Uh, and, uh, and when you have finally gone beyond paths because there's no ego left and you realize all of that was an illusory game that was played in order to have the laughter of the enjoyment of being free of it, then uh, you will end up uh, on what now your ego might look at as an ascetic path and say, no, this is the path of bliss. And uh, there's no uh, rejection of anything whatsoever, especially no rejection of God, no rejection of divine love or bliss, and no need for anything else. Okay, I hope that was useful to people. And uh, I appreciate the liveliness and the earnestness of the questions and of the desire to grow that I, I can feel is in everyone. And because we are now in the Aquarian age, because we have shifted out of the Piscean and the old uh, rules and limitations on us have fallen away along with the, uh, the social structures that uh, justified them, we will all be able to feel a kind of spiritual freedom that we may not have felt before to discover who we are beyond the conventional uh, ways of living that you were taught to want, like a good job and a marriage and a child and a, a mortgage and life insurance, you know, and a, a nice uh, cemetery plot or whatever, you know, the, the whole uh, nine yards of a stupid life lived in body consciousness, uh, you will end up wanting a little more than that. It may include that, but it will include it in a larger context and paradigm. And, uh, and all of it, however your path takes you through life and, uh, and whatever experiences, uh, traumatic or blissful or both, uh, are, are given to you, recognize that they are all the blessings of the unveiling of your divine nature and that all of this is happening whether you want it or not. The revelation is happening and every day more and more is revealed and more freedom is given, more grace, more bliss. So uh, don't settle for who you were yesterday or five minutes ago because you're already new and different and at every nanosecond you are being recreated in the image of God with all of the majesty and the glory and the bliss that you can contain and, and transmit. It's all here because that's all that is. There's nothing but the primordial vibrational frequency of the big bang of God's expansion into a cosmos and now the return of that cosmos to its source that is your own heart. Namaste. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website, www.satyoga.org. 
Our work is made possible by the generous support of our listeners, viewers, and members. To make a donation, please visit the donate page of our website. We thank you for your support in our mission to share this timeless wisdom with the world. Namaste.